Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast where necessity is the mother of invention. My name's Corey Hazelhurst, and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. I'm going to force Steve to talk about Brexit for the first time in ages. The government wants to get out. Don't sigh. <laughs> We're going to have a nice time. This is important. I know. The government wants to get out of the Northern Ireland Protocol, and it's definitely, definitely not going to break international law. Oh, no. So how is it going to manage that? Let's just recap how we got here, Steve. We have talked about this in the podcast before, on the other hand, because either the government or, or Lord Frost, in one of his many rare interventions that only happen every 16 hours, it can be sometimes hard to remember how we got here. Ireland is a country in the EU. Yeah. Northern Ireland is no longer in the EU, but it's in the UK. Yeah. However, we need to have an open border between Ireland and Northern Ireland yep. because of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Theresa May, remember Theresa May? I do. Right, she had a deal. Didn't go very well. But part of what she wanted in her deal was to make sure there was a back, uh, 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 an open border was to have a backstop. Yeah. So obviously May, uh, rather than, I don't know, maybe compromise, work with Labour, work with businesses, work with unions, come to some sort of soft Brexit, which you'd imagine would be useful compromise for a 52-48 referendum. Absolutely. May didn't do that and said, we're going to leave a single market and a customs union. Yeah. Which, obviously, at the time, no Leave campaigner said would happen at all. Yeah. The way that May was going to square this impossible circle was to have something that they call the backstop, or really they should call it the wicket keeper, but we, we lost that argument already on the podcast. What the backstop would do is, even if the end Brexit state was one where... Uh, Usually you would need to have checks. Actually, the backstop would come in and would guarantee you would not have a hard border on mm-hmm. the island of Ireland. The alternative, as May saw it, were to have checks on the Irish Sea. And Theresa May said that that was an option that no British Prime Minister could accept. Okay. I feel like that's a very important point. It is quite important because the, the thing is that then you'd end up with different parts of the UK under different rules. Yeah. And well, you, the unionists wouldn't be happy. Yeah. But the DUP have famously not been happy throughout all of this, I feel, for ages now. Johnson hated the May deal, said it was unacceptable. And so when he became Prime Minister with David Frost, who we've been going about three minutes now, so David Frost has probably already made another intervention into British, a very intervention. And the Telegraph has probably written another article proclaiming him to be the next uh, Conservative Party leader, despite the fact he's not an MP and isn't eligible. We just have to find him a safe seat. I mean, maybe there's a by-election coming up in Tiverton and up now. Um, he could be Tiverton's candidate next election. There we go. Now, they decided that what they were going to do is make essentially make the backstop the front stop. Yeah. That essentially is what the Northern Ireland Protocol was. And there, it's a series of arrangements of essentially how trade, how, how you keep the border open, how trade was going to work, how you'd manage the checks, how you'd manage the movement of goods and services and people. As a result of part of that, Northern Ireland ended up I believe I'm right in saying it's in the single market for goods. And actually, ironically, because of that, it's actually performing better economically 
than the rest of the UK, which is not in the single market. Probably a lesson to be learned there. I feel that the lesson is that actually being in the EU is good for the UK's case economically. And if only the Remain campaign had thought of saying that in 2016, none of this would have happened. Mm, Um, And then Johnson won an election on this deal and said that he was going to get Brexit done. You probably haven't heard it. It was an obscure... It was on a couple of efforts. Some kind of microwavable oven-ready deal. There's a microwavable oven-ready deal. I remember we had a podcast during that election campaign because there was a dinner he was at and was definitely sober with some Northern Ireland businessmen. And he said to them, he looked them in the eye, Steve, as Boris Johnson always does, he looked them in the eye and said there would be no checks on the Irish seat and no bi- no business's paperwork would increase as a result of his Brexit deal. And lo and behold... Well, so it turns out that's all rubbish and yeah. not true. And the UK government doesn't like the Northern Ireland Protocol. Even though they negotiated it. Even though they negotiated it. Yeah. Yeah. What there is in the Northern Ireland Protocol, there is a thing called Article 16, which we heard about because every so often, Lord Frost, in one of his very rare interventions, another one's already happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was agreed with the EU. And basically what it says is that... If there are issues with how the protocol's working out, there are some safeguarding measures that essentially will work together and work it out. And every so often, usually, especially when Liz Truss becomes Foreign Secretary and Liz Truss realised that what she really believed in wasn't the abolition of the monarchy or remaining in the EU or leaving the EU, she now firmly believes in being Prime Minister. Yeah. Uh, And essentially that, manifests itself in two ways. One of them is by dressing like Margaret Thatcher and one of them is caught in the ERG. By oh, you forgot the, the third way, which is making sure that she has all of the uh, photo shoots taken, which just happened to mimic a load of things that Thatcher did. That's true. I feel the third way is something different, actually. <laughs> but it's a bit dated now. I mean, according to some, some of the left. <laughs> Gerhard Schroeder's interpretation of the third way is not the same as Tony Blair's. It's <laughs> Aggressive centrism or... Makes with Vladimir Putin, it's hard. But actually, the UK government has not invoked Article 16. And this is an important, which we'll get to. I promise we'll get there, Steve. I know it's been a while. But the other thing is that actually it turns out that this threat, in inverted commas, was never actually a threat because the UK government was never going to do it and it didn't do it. Yeah. Right. The UK government did try and find another way to get out of Northern Ireland Protocol last year. And Brandon Lewis had a very memorable phrase, didn't he? Yeah. He said to the House of Commons, actually, we are going to break international law, but we're only yes, going to do it in, in, in limited ways. Wasn't it? A limited and specific way. Only it turns out it's a really bad idea to say before something happens that what you're doing is illegal. Who would have thought? I mean, given the behaviour of this government in certain other areas of criminality and legality, it isn't necessarily surprising that they would also, in, in advance, turn around and say, no, we're going to break the law. I think we should probably maybe give Brandon Lewis credit for honesty. Yeah. Um, if Richard Nixon had come out to David Frost and said, when the President of the United States breaks the law in a very limited and specific way, that means it's not illegal. <laughs> uh, and legal officers resigned. It was a, there was a bit of a fuss, a bit of Farago, and the government realised they couldn't do that. Yeah. So what they've tried to do is say that what they're doing now is legal. And... The way they've sort of done that is there's a bit, there's a bit, it's a similar precedent actually uh, to how the Blair government essentially tried to make a legal case for the invasion of Iraq. 
in that essentially you find you try and find a law officer who'll do it and they say actually i'm not really sure that's true and eventually you end up in a situation where the attorney general in that case james goldsmith in this case where the braverman tries to find a way of do it saying that what they're doing is legal Normally by going asking every single person they can possibly think of for a legal opinion until they find one that kind of says, oh, maybe. Well, so there's James Eady, who's essentially, uh, I think the technical legal view, uh, language is that he's a big legal bod who's meant to advise the government on big legal stuff. Yeah. And the government said, is this legal? If you make the assumption that it's necessary for the UK to break international obligations... Because essentially, the, what the, the the defense that Braveman's trying to, uh, the UK government's trying to make is, and it makes it in the Northern Ireland Protocol Act, is that what the UK government is doing is one of necessity. Yeah. That essentially there's there, there's bad things happening in Northern Ireland. They've mentioned the increase of violence that's happening, and therefore it's necessary for the UK to bring forward its own legislation to unilaterally change the Northern Ireland Protocol. Which, on the face of it, like, this is very much the, you know, somebody who thinks they're being very, very clever has come up with a, you know, a way that they can hoodwink everybody with it. And it's just like, well, no. Because, again, everybody knows you're trying to do these things because you were stupid enough to announce it in the House of Commons. And once again, the government seems to, well, the Conservative Party as a whole seems to have forgotten the fact that just because we don't pay attention to what happens in France and in Germany doesn't mean the French mean the French and Germans aren't paying attention to what we're doing. Well, no, and in fact, the, so the EU have come out um, in advance of us doing anything, basically. Yes, because the so again, a lot of this is is sort of nicked or uh, taken on advice of of what David Allen Green has, has said. There's an interesting video he did for the FT and. Uh, essentially, one of the questions is that in the, I'm, I'm going to mangle it now. Uh, so there's an argument to say there's a sort of good faith provision in the original withdrawal okay. agreement that says, uh, essentially the EU and the UK will work constructively if any problems arise. Yeah. And there is an argument, and this is the line that some of the EU are taking that if by even putting forward, not even by passing it, by putting forward legislation that says you want to change the Northern Ireland Protocol, yeah. that that in itself is therefore a breach yeah. of international law and, and of your international obligations because you're not trying to work with someone. And as we said, they haven't invoked Article 16. Yeah. What they've done is just go straight to parliament to try and fix the problem rather than going to the eu first yeah and and, and fundamentally this is because it, it's very much the typical problem that this government has in that they've they've got a problem or what they perceive as a problem but they can't solve it because solving it is hard and difficult and means you actually need to think about things and make choices that might be unpopular in within your own party or might be unpopular with the with the with the country at large in some in some way um, or just might be unpopular with your base um, in the electorate. And they just look at that bulk and go, oh no, we don't want to, don't want to do that. Let's, 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 let's see if we can just do something else that gives us a good headline. And I think it's also because what they're trying to do is fundamentally impossible. Yeah. And 
if listener, you have been, let's say you've come onto this because you've accidentally played all 300 of our episodes back to back in some sort of phrasing frenzy, um, in which case you no doubt have too many puns and a hatred of Phil Willis and we applaud you for that. But you'll notice that actually a lot of, uh, th- there are only a few ways that you can have an open border. Yep. You could, the UK could have chosen a Brexit which kept us in some form of customs unions, you wouldn't have to have checks. You could make sure you're in the single market, which means you can't divert regulations because obviously what the EU doesn't want is uh, it wants to protect the integrity of the single market and doesn't want, say, products with lesser standards coming in by the back door. But there were loads of things tried by the by conservative backbenchers. You remember the Malthouse Compromise? Oh, God. I can't remember what it was, but it was no, a thing. I, I remember there was about three weeks where, where we were like, oh, Malthouse might actually be the... Oh, no. No. Um, <laughs> David Davis talked about technological solutions. Oh, God. I'd forgotten about that So it was well. basically, I think, magic drones. Yeah, it was just pure science fiction, but not yeah. even good science fiction. No, so it's... And that's the thing, is that the EU, foolishly, Steve, because they're status technocrats, <laughs> demanded that we actually had a solutions that might exist now <laughs> rather than 20 years in the future. I think that's partly because when the Brexit referendum happened, which is now six short years ago, uh, no one, certainly in England, really gave much of a thought to what was happening in Ireland. Tony Blair and John Major did a joint press conference. I don't remember that press conference happening at the time. I don't. We certainly didn't talk no. about it on the podcast. Well, because, and, and, and this is the thing, at the time... If you go back and look at everything that was said by the Leave campaign, the notion was, of course, we're not going to leave the single market. Of course, we're not going to leave the, the customs union. Brexit isn't about like leaving our, in effectively, the, the European free trade area. It's about taking back control away from certain overpowering, you know, legislation which which isn't necessarily relevant to the UK, etc., etc., etc. But then that all went out the window the minute uh, Cameron stood down. It suddenly became a, effectively a race to the bottom of who can um, say they're going to pass the hardest Brexit, and uh, you had basically because you had Steve Baker there as a result of um, May's decision to call an early election, which she then lost her majority. Just kind of going, you can't do anything without me, so keep me happy. Well, I think it's so. I think there's a, there's a, a few things. I think, what the interesting thing is actually that Dan Hanan is now saying, "Ah, oh, we should be, we should have just gone for the single market." <laughs> it's your fault. This yeah. Is- you, you were one of the ones who came out and said, well, we're not going to leave this, we're not going to do this. And then you've been cheerleading, mm. uh, you know, Theresa May's uh, uh, position, Boris Johnson's position, every step of the way. In fact, in, fact, in a number of instances, demanding they go further. Well, no, and, and so, and part of the... Theresa May does have a lot of the blame here because, yes. as we've said, she made a decision that her, Brexit was about immigration and therefore you had to the UK had to control its whole freedom of movement and therefore we did have to leave the single market and the customs union. She could, as I said in the sort of recap at the start, there's no reason why she couldn't have found a cross-party consensus for what was called a soft Brexit at the time. Uh, And she refuted that because Theresa May is not a cross-party consensual politician. No. And she also, despite looking good in comparison to Boris Johnson, wasn't a good prime minister or a good leader at all. Uh, Again, if David Cameron had stayed on, he could. I think Cameron's a sort of cross-party politician yeah. would have done that. Cameron would have probably gotten through a Brexit that would have been 
probably leaving some single market, staying in customs union or, or something like that. But it would have been enough of a, of, of a compromise that other than the absolute diehards on both sides, everyone goes, job done, let's move on. But I think the problem is that the people behind Brexit have always sort of had this idea of victimhood and betrayal and Chris yeah. Gray and Fidna to have written about this extensively. And I think if something like that would have happened, actually people like Boris Johnson have said this is a massive betrayal. Yeah. And would have probably used it to go into number 10 and try and unpick all of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, which is an interesting, maybe counterfactual to do. Yeah. But not today. No. So, uh, so as I say, yes, so the UK government is trying to make the argument that it's that necessity is, as we said in the episode, the mother of invention. Thing is, that's not always a defence. So did you do A-level law? I did not. No. So there's um there's a case I would I've completely forgotten the name of it because um I only had a very superficial understanding of A-level law. Um but there was a, a case David Allen gave me reminded me of that I must have had to remember back in whenever I did law A level in 2005, R.V. Dudley and Stephen, which showed, which was essentially ruling that necessity isn't a defence to murder. And R.V. Dudley and Stephen is about sailors who are on a, a boat that get shipwrecked and there's four sailors out in the middle of the sea. They don't have any food. And so two sailors decide to kill and eat the cabin boy. And when they come back, they confess to this and assume that they're not going to be found guilty of murder because... Uh, it was that, yeah, it was that or die, right? Um, except spoilers for anyone who does a level law, the, the 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 court found actually you know you can't use necessity's defence in murder, and they found them guilty. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, and there's also, as we've said, the fact that Article 16 exists, so it's not like there's something else you could do. And there's four things essentially that the government would need to prove that this is necessary. One of them is that it's about safeguarding an essential interest that's in peril, that peril is grave and imminent, that course of action you're taking is the only way available, and no other essential interest is impaired. So let's go through those one by one. Right. Uh, so what's the first one? So safeguard an essential interest is in peril. So there is a definite question as to what interest is, is, is imperiled by according to the government. Like, are they, if they are trying to make that case nationally, they have failed to do so because I couldn't even tell you what they think that is. Like, the, the strongest thing that I could point to in terms of, of that might be it, uh, it imperils the, uh, the existence of the union in that it's helping harbour, you know, the divisions at Stormont, etc., etc., um, which in turn is leading potentially to, you know, more um, nationalist public feeling in Northern Ireland or something like that. Hmm. Maybe you could make that point, but you know, that's something that isn't immediate, which we'll come on to the next yeah, point. Yeah, the peril needs to be in imminent. Yeah, which, which it isn't. So, you know, big cross on that one as well. The course of action is the only way available. Well, Article 16 hasn't been triggered. And no other essential interest is impaired. Again, I can't think of anything that, that, that's, re that's relevant for, yeah. for that, that aspect. So, so I think there's a few interesting things here. So we've, we've sort of talked about what it 
says for Brexit, I yeah. think. But the, I suppose what we haven't sort of talked about is the, the sort of, there's almost two kinds of Brexit. And we talked about Dan Hanans on these, but you've, you've kind of got the, the sort of global Britain view of Brexit, which yeah. was that you have, and we've talked about this before, buccaneering is always the word used in terms yeah. of trade deals. And then you've also got the sort of free market Singapore on Thames, yeah. that essentially we could leave the EU and deregulate everything and undercut. And both of those, I think, are in peril. The Singapore on Thames one is undercut by the fact that actually um, they want a low tax, low state economy when we've got a high tax state where the, the Labour's seen as more a low tax party than the Conservatives, so they're yeah. not happy. But the thing with Global Britain is if you're going to be part, do global trade deals, be part of a global rules-based system, you then need to actually follow the rules that you agree to. Because otherwise, no one's going to want to do any trade deals with you. Because this is this is the thing. Like the government's been very big to try and big up the the, the, the relatively small trade deals that they have been able to sign, um, which for the most part have just been the continuation of what we've already agreed. But we were signed up under EU rules rather than a bilateral agreement. Therefore, they needed to be re-agreed um, with a few minor tweaks here and there, just because that's how these things work. They've done these smaller deals. But there's not been anything particularly meaty. And the issue you've got is that if your primary trade deal and your primary trading partner, who just happens to be one of the biggest trading blocks in the world, is basically stood internationally going, they keep on threatening to break the law. They keep on threatening to break the law. They keep on threatening to break the law. And everybody knows this. Everybody's paying attention to these things because why wouldn't they be? This is what international politics is all about. And as a result, all of those uh, like those potential trade deals that might exist in, in, in some form, a lot of your more serious kind of uh, players like, say, the US would l- look at it and go, no, because you're not a, you're not a good faith actor. You are not going to be acting in, in 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 good faith during negotiations. You're not going to be acting in good faith afterwards because we've already seen that you can negotiate something directly yourself, and then say no. This and then say no. This isn't good enough, which is a very different situation to what you might have say with um, you know when Trump was like, oh, I want to renegotiate NAFTA and um, things like that, which you know not to get into the, the pluses or minuses of, of that, it was a long-standing treaty, was not negotiated directly by Trump himself or any of the uh, of his administration. Therefore, it, it's valid to criticise it and go, I would want to do things differently. If Trump had negotiated it, that would be an absolutely ridiculous position for them to have. Yet, lo and behold, that is where the British government is with its own uh, EU agreement. And I think that it sort of builds on, we, we haven't talked about Boris, Boris Johnson's ethics advisor resigning. Well, this latest oh, God, yeah. resignation, uh, Lord, um, Lord Guite, about whether or not it's legal for the government to intervene on steel tariffs to sort of break its WTO obligations. Not going to go into it, partly because I'm not really an expert in WTO trade negotiations, but in terms of from what I can gather, there is potentially a route that a country can say, 
okay, we have got these obligations, but actually there's this thing that means we should do this, which means I'm not able for this to negotiate. For, um, we don't have this obligation. Yeah, you can basically just say, we're going to be working on WTO rules. This is like a baseline for, for everything. But I think even the, the what, what John says to do with steel tariffs, I think is not even that. Exactly, which is, which is the thing. So even the baseline rules, they're saying we, we don't want to pay by them. Remember when WTO rules was the... The, the, the worst hip, case scenario. The hipster term for a no deal Brexit. Yeah. Um, but actually, if that happens, well, what uh, Russia, China, America, uh, what are they going to do to us? Like, we, we don't have, uh, we, we've talked about this before on the podcast, in terms of big trading blocks. Britain is not a big, in a big trading block. Yeah. So it's going to be very hard for us, even if, if it ends up in a beggar your neighbor scenario, Britain's going to be massively affected by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is, about where the hell it leaves the foreign policy, because actually, and Anton Spizak from the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change made this argument that Russia or China will almost certainly then use necessity as their defence when they're talking about not having to fulfil their international obligations. Yeah. Now we're going round. The the UK is going round saying it's important that Iran say upholds the rule of law that Russia upholds the rule of law in terms of treatment of citizens in Ukraine. Yeah. And we are not doing that at home. And it's obviously there are differences in scale, but in terms of rhetoric, and Putin's rhetoric is all about finding false equivalents, yeah. um, you, you sort of need to act your values a little bit. And so that... And actually, I think your, your point about Trump and NAFTA is an interesting one, because I suppose democracies like Britain and the US can tend to be quite short-termist in this yes. and it can change with the women of individual governments whereas if especially a regime like China that generally is looking still 5, 10, 20 years ahead yeah. and you've got this chop and turn of, of political change it is a, a really quite significant yeah absolutely um, then the other thing I think maybe it shows about Brexit is just this 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 um argument which you see occasionally about how Britain is like the 1930s Germany, which I think we're not, Britain is not no. for a few reasons that maybe we'll talk about in a, in a silly season podcast, ironically. But what the bill does have is it allows, it's got provisions in it which allows ministers to make law themselves, which would be equivalent to an act of parliament. So actually, they're quite big sweeping powers. Yeah. And it feels like what you have got is there's a sort of a bit of a latent authoritarianism here, which has sort of been a bit unleashed, I think, by a bit of the Brexit vote, where you end up with Johnson essentially, as you say, the UK government want to do things. They can't necessarily do them, but they try and find provisions for them to essentially do what they want, whether that's on judicial review, on Brexit, but essentially it's a, they, a peaceful protest. They just don't really want any scrutiny whatsoever. Yep. So I think that's, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And it's just a weird, it's not even clear if this legislation will even take effect because it'll need to clear the Lords. It's almost certainly not going to clear the Lords. There'll be a massive argument if it'll take yeah. months. Well, you're going to basically end up in a situation, I, I suspect, where you're going to have to fall under the Parliament Act to actually get it through the Lords. And it's been a while since, since I've had to look at the actual provisions of it because it's it, it continually gets amended every every few years normally after the Lords does something the government of the day doesn't like and then eventually it goes through um, uh, in, in some form. But I think there's still time elements linked to, 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 to the Parliament Act, which if that is the case, 
depending on the timescales of this, could they even get it through before they have another election? Well, uh, I think there's, there's also my recollection of the Parliament Act is that usually the convention is that the Lords won't block anything that's in the party's manifesto. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what it is. What's the convention if a government's trying to undo a manifesto commitment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's certain types of bills that they just don't play ball with in, uh, in, in, in terms of like, you know, I think like the budget and, and things like that just get kind of hand-waved through by the Lords. Um, but yeah, and the things in the manifesto tend to get, it's, it's hands-off as well. But anything outside of that tends to get viewed as fair game, and like it's it's three or four times I think it is that it it can be battered back before they can even activate it and just say no we're ignoring this. So it's got to go through three to four different readings minimum mm. before of, of the House of Commons before it gets up there. So you could be in a situation where probably a year from now it might just be getting through. Who knows how many interventions by Lord Frost would have had by that point? Uh, yeah, let, let's not even think about that. I don't think I can count that high. I'll tell you what, we can count, listeners, and that's the number of backers we have on Patreon. Oh, nice segue. <laughs> if you want us to get to an uncountable figure, maybe so that we can gain followers at the rate of one of Lord Frost's early interventions, <laughs> rare interventions, what would you have to do to make that happen, Steve? You could head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where for a couple of quid every month you can uh, back us and all the costs go to basically keeping this thing running. We uh, put out content just that's unique for, for our backers over there, early access to bits and pieces as well. So all a, a very good, happy time over there. Our website's notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne James Cram designed the logo you can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Tepper compost our theme tune Pucky Good Times I'm at Paperback Rioter I'm at Acoustic Radical happy plotting happy plotting